Lord is good. Amen. I said the Lord is good. Amen. Amen. If you have your copy of God's word, meet me in John chapter 11. We're going to close our I Am series this morning by looking at the final I Am uh, in a non-sequential order in John chapter 11 when Jesus declares that I am the resurrection and the life. And as we turn to John 11, I would be remiss if I did not acknowledge the, uh, that for many, Memorial Day weekend can feel like a three-day weekend, but for others, it is a reminder of those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom. Um, and as many of you, hopefully all of us know, freedom is not free. Uh, and so we do remember and acknowledge those who have given their life in service of our country and of our freedoms. And so we remember them and we remember the loved ones that they've left behind this morning. John chapter 11, we're going to be in verses 17 through 27 this morning. When you get there, say, oh, yeah. If you need a minute, say, hold up, brother. All right, just a second. John chapter 11, verse 17. We're going to read through verse 27. John chapter 11, verse 17 reads, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Someone say four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die yet, shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is coming into the world. This is the word of the Lord. And before considering it, we should pray. Let's pray. Father, would you come by your spirit and lead us to an illumination of this word that we cannot arrive to on our own? Would you aid us in our reading, in our understanding, in our hearing, and in our doing? And Lord, would our faith not rest in our doing? but would our faith rest in your doing credited to our account? So Spirit of God, come and do these things. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we ask. Amen. Um, do you all remember a show that was on TV, wildly popular, early 2000s, entitled, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? I really liked that show because I loved the opportunity to prove to my family and all my friends how smart I was. And I fancied myself to be the all integral person someone would call in the event they got stuck. And what is the name or what is the action that, that they would uh, undergo when someone would need help? What would they do? Phone a friend. I've often wondered who and what entails and basically what makes you the friend that someone calls. 
Is it because you're the smartest? Is it because you're the most studied or most traveled? Is it because you're the most famous and someone wants to look good on television? Or perhaps it is the one who is the most trustworthy. For me, I'm I'm going to the person who's the smartest person I know. For others, it's I'm going to the one who's the most trustworthy person. But in matters of life and death, who do you call first? When there's something happening that's bigger than you, who do you call first? When either your life or someone else's is on the line, who do you call first? And and, and what makes that person worthy of your first phone call? Is it the one who's going to give you wisdom? Is it the one who's going to offer comfort? Is it the person whose voice you just have to hear? Is it the one who loves you the most, or perhaps it's the one who has the power to fix it. When we get to John chapter 11, we get to a time where this is a matter of life and death. Lazarus has fallen ill. Mary and Martha have sent word to Jesus that the one whom you love is ill. And of course, in matters of life and death, they not only go to the one who is wise and the one who gives comfort, the one who loves them and the one with the power to fix it, but they go to the one where all of those things are true. But there's a dilemma. What if the person that you call delays? What if they take their time What if he's late? What if she's tardy? What if they're on CP time? What happens in a matter of life and death when the one person who can fix it doesn't come when you want them to? And the inconceivable happens. Your worst nightmare happens. And the question that this text begs us to ask is, Jesus, do you love me if you're late? I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but there have been prayers that I've prayed and sometimes I've been like, Lord, you're late. Where were you when I needed you? Lord, I needed you about three years ago. You didn't answer me three years ago. What's going on? What do we do when the prayers that we pray for help go unanswered? I wonder if that's what Mary and Martha have asked. Allow me a second to walk through the text. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 11, we find that Lazarus falls ill, so they send word to Jesus. Jesus being about a day and a half journey away from Bethany, the home of Mary and Martha, not only stays where he is, which the end of chapter 10 tells us that he's in the place where John the Baptist was baptized, which is somewhere in the Jordan, near the Jordan. But he goes south into Judea. He doesn't go to Bethany. He doesn't go to Jerusalem, which is just north of Bethany. 
he goes south into Judea. Jesus seems to be delaying, avoiding intentionally. Jesus, do you, did you not hear that Lazarus, whom you love, is ill? It's interesting how we will often try to use love as a manipulative factor to get people to act how we want them to. Jesus, the one whom you love is ill. Not the one whom we love, the one whom you love. And your love should precipitate your action on their behalf. Again, if Jesus is late, does he still love us? Judea being the place where Jesus had just been persecuted, where the Pharisees and Sadducees were seeking to kill him, they're immediately marching right into sure death, which is why in the very end of that first pericope, they say to themselves, let us go that we may die with him. Here's Thomas called the twin, the doubting one in verse 16. Let us go so that we may die. But the irony here is that Jesus knows something that they do not. That the God-man himself being all-powerful and omnipotent knows what they do not. For just in verse 11, we find that Lazarus has been dead how long? Four days. So even had Jesus left immediately when he got the message, presuming there would have been a day and a half journey, by the time he got there, Lazarus would already have been dead for some days. When we try to sometimes get God to act on our behalf, what we fail to sometimes realize is maybe God knows more than us. Four days, he's dead. Jesus says, I'm glad I wasn't there. I'm glad I wasn't there when Lazarus died. Is, is that the language that someone whom you need uses when you need them? I'm glad I wasn't there. That's the language that ends relationship. And Jesus says, I'm glad I wasn't there for your sake. Four days. Jesus comes to the place called Bethany, two miles off from Jerusalem. Martha sees him. She comes running. Mary stays sitting in the house. The same house when Mary and Martha threw a party for Jesus and Martha busies herself Mary's there assuming the posture of a disciple. Now, some people say that Mary was bitter, angry, upset. But I wonder if Mary's sitting posture here in chapter 11, that's reminiscent of her sitting posture in the book of Luke, speaks to her faith and trust as a disciple of Jesus, where they used to say in the church that I grew up in, he may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. Martha comes and says to Jesus, had you been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus, having already just told the disciples, I'm glad I wasn't there, says, your brother will rise again. In, in Martha's mind, in the Jewish mentality, there was the belief in an eschatological resurrection, a resurrection of body at the end of times. It was a resurrection of the body at the battle of the apocalyptic battle. There was a belief in the resurrection that 
Yet we die now, but real life happens later. Jesus says, nah, baby. I am present right now, the resurrection and the life. Jesus delays four days. I'm glad I wasn't there for your sake. Now, what's going on here? There was a belief in Judaism that up to three days after the body died, the soul hovered above the body to re-enter the body. Now, I don't believe that Jesus ascribed to such folk thinking, but knowing as widespread as it was, he may have waited four days to ensure that whatever he did could not be attributed to a wise tale, but to his power. I believe also the King James Version, that King Jimmy that I grew up on, gives us an indication of just how serious this matter is. When someone died as a Jew, they were to be buried within 24 hours to be anointed with herbs for 24 hours. But in the King James, it says that by this time, four days later, the body of Lazarus, it says literally, he stinketh. It's funky. Lazarus is dead, dead. Yeah, yeah, dead as a Dornell Smalls, dead. So Jesus strolls up to the scene Martha has hope in an eternity, but very little hope in the present. Had you been here, my brother would not have died. I know you're there, but had you been here? Is anybody else asking Jesus, had you been here? Where are you here? And Jesus says to her, I am. Now watch this. In the ensuing verses, what we find is that Jesus goes to the tomb. He sees people there and he commands them to roll the stone away. Consequently, it wouldn't be the only time in the scriptures we would find a stone being rolled away to expose a body that was once dead and is now alive. I ain't got time to preach that. It's family Sunday worship. They protest. Do you want to embarrass this family like this? An unembalmed man, a stone encapsulating the smell, and you want to roll the stone back. He stinketh. But Jesus weeps. Roll the stone away. He weeps because he loves Lazarus. He weeps because he feels the pain of his brothers and sisters. He weeps because there are some there who do not yet believe in him. He weeps because of their uh, spiritual death. He weeps and then he speaks and he says to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. But this is four days after he delays. Why does Jesus delay? Two reasons. I believe, one, that Jesus delays so that the power of God might be on display. What we as a church need is displays of God's power, not displays of our own. In order for our faith to be legitimate, we need displays of God's power, supernatural power from God that transforms situations. A folktale couldn't fix this. Folk medicine couldn't fix this. Nothing could fix this. So Jesus delays so that their power might be in God. And second, 
I think Jesus delays so that faith might rest in the person of Christ and his work. So that faith might rest in the person of Christ and his work. Notice I didn't say his person or his work or his work alone. Our faith is not in what Jesus does for us. Our faith is in the person and work. It is who Jesus is. The very present and real incarnate God man himself. As I was studying and preparing for this sermon, I got about two and a half minutes. Stick with me. As I was preparing for this sermon, I was reminded of the story of Walter Williams. Now, many of you may not know who Walter Williams is. Walter Williams was born during a rare snowstorm in the Delta of Mississippi in the early 1930s. And he was in hospice care due to conjunctive heart failure when he lay in his bed and he breathed his last. He goes to be with Jesus. They bring the ambulance in. They put him in a body bag and they roll him to the hospital or excuse me, to the morgue rather. And there he is on the table and the morticians are in and out of the room when all of a sudden they notice that the body bag starts to move. So they roll over to the bag and they unzip it and there's Walter Williams staring at them in their eyes. A man who had been pronounced dead nine hours earlier somehow miraculously comes back to life. Can you imagine the reunion with his family who had been mourning over him? Who now all of a sudden, as they're preparing to lay him to rest, they walk into a hospital room and there he is alert and awake. Resurrection. What Jesus wants us to know and he wants what he wants them to know is that there is not only an eternal reality to this faith thing. No, there's a present reality. And the I am of where we are is this. Jesus does not move on your time or your calendar. But he moves for your good according to his appointed time. I'm going to say that again. Jesus does not move based on your timeline and your calendar, but he moves according to his timeline and calendar for your good. And ultimately, Jesus is in the business of calling dead things back to life. It's interesting that anytime Jesus comes into contact with death in the New Testament, death dies. And here Lazarus, though he walks out of this tomb as Jesus calls him forth, Lazarus, come out! And Lazarus comes out being bound by these grave and burial materials, still reeking of death, still carrying the traces of death with him. And there everyone is astonished, but how much more would their minds have been blown when Christ emerges alive from that grave, bearing only the very mere resemblances of death marks in his hands and his side, but he is new and he is alive. And what Jesus wants them to see in us in John chapter 11 is you thought me raising Lazarus was amazing. Wait till the Holy Spirit raises me. And if you think that's miraculous, watch how I raise you. Friends, we need a big cross gospel. But a gospel without the resurrection is a powerless gospel. If you have the cross and no resurrection, we are still in our sin. We have had a madman and a maniac who's died for us, and yet he remains buried. 
but the resurrection is the power for faith and faith and power in this present life. So here's the call. Here's the thrust in all of this. The thrust is when you believe in the resurrection, it changes everything. But ultimately, the call is to trust Jesus with your eternity, but trust him with your present. There is hope today in the I am of Jesus. So if we are playing this game called life, and you need to phone a friend, not just for eternal salvation, but for present hope today, call on Jesus. Call on the one who is wise, yes, who loves you, but who's got the power to fix it. Call on Jesus. At the end of every sermon, we take just a few minutes to respond to God's word. As we hear what the spirit of God may be leading us to believe, leading us in thinking how we should obey. So let's take about 20 seconds right now, real quick, just to hear from the Lord and to obey his leading and his prompting in our life. And I'll close us in prayer here in about 20 seconds. Father in heaven, we thank you for our family represented in this room right now. Multi-generational, multi-ethnic, multi-partisan, multi-geographical. We thank you for the noises and the babblings of these children that remind us that we are here from the oldest to the least and all of us are precious in your sight, that you have given inherent value and worth and dignity to And all of that is a product of your work on our behalf in your resurrection. This all-powerful, immaculate act wherein you prove to be more powerful than even death itself. And Lord, would our hope not simply be to endure this life to achieve heaven, but would our hope be to be with you in this life on mission, in ministry, sweet seeing and savoring the sweet savior Jesus Christ today so that we might spend eternity with you. I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who does not know you, who has not called upon you by faith, who's not believed in you, Lord, that you would make them miserable. Father, would you make them miserable until they would submit and surrender? And Lord, in my case, I just needed you to overpower me and make me believe. Maybe you might need to do that with some this morning. But Father, let no man and no woman and no child leave this place unwarned and unloved, knowing that your grace is available to them. And so, Father, as we close this morning and we sing our voices to you, would you be praised? Would you be pleased? Because we love you. And we pray all these things in the name of Christ and for his sake. Amen.